I was worried when he turned, moved it up. <laughs> Let us stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, which is found in John chapter 4, reading verses 7 to 10. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living waters. The word of the Lord may be living waters to our soul. The Bible sounds so much better with the Jamaican accent. <laughs> Jesus affirmed that uh, we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And uh, in this series, we're looking at how the soul impacts and influences especially our heart and our mind. Last week we were in John chapter 3 and we looked at uh, Nicodemus and today we're in chapter 4 and we're going to look at the woman at the well. Let's just pray. Lord, we give you all blessing and honor, glory and power and we just want to bless you with our souls and also our hearts and minds. May you be uh, revealed among us in your glory, in your majesty, and uh, in your all-sufficiency. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. What if Jesus Christ came to earth in 2017 to a place like Los Angeles? What if he just happened to uh, meet Kim Kardashian in a restaurant? What would he say to someone like that? If Jesus encountered Brad Pitt or DiCaprio or Ivanka Trump, it would be very interesting to listen to their conversation. And I suspect it would be similar to the dialogue recorded in the Gospels here in John chapter 4. And it would probably have something to do with the soul. This chapter begins with a controversy. It says in verse 1, the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Perhaps the Pharisees thought that they could use this to arouse some jealousy among the followers of John the Baptist and turn these two groups against each other. Well, Jesus diffused any possible conflict. Verse 3, when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. 
This was the most direct route. But it was also very unusual. Because whenever the Jews traveled between Judea and Galilee, they would go around the long way, past Samaria, the forbidden zone. It's like traveling from Calgary to Edmonton via Jasper because you want to avoid red deer. You see, the Jews despised the Samaritans. They didn't want to go anywhere near them because they had committed the unpardonable sin. They had intermarried with Gentiles, so they were half-breeds, no longer numbered among the chosen, not really the descendants of Abraham. They were kind of like Oilers fans, maybe, I don't know. The Jews wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans, except Jesus. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near a plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. It's high noon, it's very hot, everyone is thirsty, and so they were glad to find a well. But they couldn't haul up any water because no one had brought a bucket. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Now that's shocking. Absolutely shocking. Men did not speak to women in public for any reason. And besides, this was a Jewish rabbi. And she was a Samaritan sinner. It was absolutely scandalous. So the question caught her by surprise. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Who are you? Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You see, that's the problem right there. People don't know how to ask the right questions. If you knew, you would have asked. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and, and drank from it himself as did his, also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. Verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. She was busted. And she was also about 2,000 years ahead of her time. 
I mean, this would just be girl talk at a local bar on Electric Avenue. Yeah, we're divorced, but I met another guy, and, and we're taking it slow, no commitments yet. She would have fit perfectly into our current social scene. The Samaritan woman could have even had her own reality show. Maybe five is not enough for desperate housewives of Samaria. For us, this is the new normal. But back in the day, something like this was absolutely shameful. Sure, the Samaritans had low moral standards, but even for them, this was way too much. That's why she came to the well alone. Women always like to travel in groups. One is the loneliest number. So when they go to the washroom, it's at least two for moral support. You can't go alone. Who would you talk to? So coming to the well was a social event. Sarah wants to go get some water. Wait, I'll spread the word. Give me five minutes, we'll have at least a dozen. And they'd have a great time. Well, this woman had to come alone because she was an outcast in a nation of outcasts. And I'm sure she hadn't planned to end up like this. I'll bet she thought that her first marriage would would go the distance. She was so in love until she found someone better. Well, maybe the third time's a charm. Number five was Mr. Right. Number, or number four was Mr. Right. Number five was Mr. Right now. Number six, I think he might be my soulmate. Of course, the soul had nothing to do with it because these were all affairs of the heart. Unfortunately, her heart had not served her well. Her life was one disappointment after another. She had yet to make her first good decision. And maybe it was too late. And it was all because she never asked the right question. She didn't know how. She needed help. And on that day, there was a teacher a Jewish rabbi who taught her what to ask for. Verse 10, if you knew the gift of God, you would have asked me, and I would have given you living water. All you have to do is ask. Go ahead, do it. Just ask me. God is still waiting for that. He's waited for centuries for people to just ask him. He's waiting for us. I don't know if you're like me, but it takes me forever to stop trying and stop struggling and just ask him. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Just ask. But we don't. Not until our souls start stirring. Last week we identified our soul as that part of us that longs for God. David says in Psalm 63, 1, my soul thirsts for God. And everyone has a soul. Although in many cases it's dormant or even in a coma. But we have a soul. And when our soul starts stirring, 
we realize that we need God. But we don't realize that because our heart gets all of the attention. And I think this starts when we're really young. You know, we, we're watching those Disney movies. We got Bambi, you got uh, Little Mermaid, you got Frozen. And while you're watching them, especially as kids, you hear the answer. The answer to all of life's problems. It's the same in every single movie. Wish upon a star and follow your heart. Your heart will find a way. Your heart knows the answer. Do you remember hearing that? It's in every single movie, and we believe it. The human heart has a great reputation, but that's heresy, false doctrine, because the heart is dangerous. This woman was on her sixth relationship after five failed marriages because she had been following her heart. Maybe there's something wrong with the heart. Woody Allen, the esteemed writer, director, and actor, was once married to Mia Farrell. And that relationship ended when he committed adultery with her adopted daughter. When a reporter asked him, what were you thinking? How could you do that? Alan said, well, the heart wants what it wants. Alan could have said, uh, my heart is desperately wicked. We would have also accepted that answer. But the heart wants what it wants. Well, maybe there's something wrong with the heart. And God gives us his diagnosis in the Bible. In Jeremiah 17, 9, God says this, The heart is deceitful above all things, and beyond cure, who can understand it? You don't get that from Disney. You have to get to the Bible to see that. One translation says the heart is desperately wicked. And I remember when I first read that, I said, no, no, come on. That is way too extreme. I mean, it is not that bad, is it? Well, it didn't take long before I realized, yeah, you know, that's pretty much what's going on in my heart. And if that's true, it would be a disaster for me to follow my heart because it's deceitful, it's desperately wicked. Think of all the heart diseases that afflict us. Selfishness, hatred, racism, unhealthy fear, self-pity, lust, and greed, an inferiority complex. Our heart is desperately capable of wickedness. It's our heart that hungers for the fatal attractions of the world. And that's precisely why when we get saved, we say we invite Jesus into our heart because that's where most of our problems begin. We invite Jesus into the worst part of our lives to cleanse us and to give us a new heart. Paul identifies the goal in Ephesians 3.17 that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. When Christ comes in, the human heart becomes capable of tremendous good. Tremendous good. 
But without him, it's deceitful and desperately wicked. That Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, and he is so eager to do that. If only we would ask him. If you knew the gift of God, and who is it that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. This Samaritan woman had no answers because she'd never asked the right question. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons, his flocks and herds? Her mind didn't understand what he was talking about. But Jesus was not addressing her mind. He was speaking to her soul. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is amazing. This is absolutely unbelievable. Here is Jesus, the Son of God, talking to the worst sinner in Samaria. And he's not just offering her a sample, a free 30-day trial. He's not rationing her to one liter a day. He's offering her a geyser of blessing, welling up to eternal life, unrestricted, undiluted, God is offering the worst sinner his very best. Who does that sort of thing? His grace is absolutely amazing. Somebody should write a song about that. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. See, that's the problem with our heart. We're looking for something that just won't satisfy us. We just can't get no. We're still thirsty. I got my first digital camera in 2004, the legendary Nikon D70. To describe it, I'm forced to use a word I've never ever used in a sermon before. There are certain words I totally stay away from. I really dislike them. But I'm going to use a phrase I've never used before. For me, it was a paradigm shift. There you go. Photography would never be the same again. I thought my life was complete. I'd never ask for anything else again. And then it wore out. And now it's a carcass that's mounted to the trophy that's awarded annually by the St. Albert Photo Club. It's totally useless. I haven't seen it in years. But recently, I saw an ad for the new Nikon 7500 4K video tilt screen, 8 frames a second, ISO range of up to 52,100. Can you believe something like that? What more could anyone ask for? It'll make my life complete. Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. How come we're never satisfied? John puts it this way in his first letter. John, 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Do not love the world 
or anything in the world. Don't do it. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. There's not enough room for both, you see. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. And this is the problem, verse 17. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. What our heart doesn't know is that the world and its desires pass away. What our soul understands is that the man who does the will of God lives forever. There is lasting satisfaction in God. Don't give your heart to anything in the world or you will be deeply disappointed. And yet our heart wants to keep trying over and over again. And it's so time consuming. In fact, if we only pay attention to what our heart wants, we'll never find God. Because we'll be spending all of our time distracted looking for the next well. But thank God we have a soul. And that's where healing and hope begins. But what if it's too late? By now, this woman was a lost cause, an incurable sinner. She would never change. And to make matters worse, she was a Samaritan. She was hopeless except that God was up to something. Something no one expected. It was so radical. The Son of God said he came to seek and save the lost. And he didn't draw a line and say, okay, I'm going to save the lost that are salvageable, that, that can be repaired. But anyone beyond that, there's no hope. He came to save the lost, the least, and the worst. The absolute worst. And that's why he went right into the heart of enemy territory to look for this hopeless case. And after he found her, he made her an offer she couldn't refuse. The woman said, verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go back, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. She was so messed up. And the sad thing was, her religion couldn't help her. Verse 19, sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Let's talk about religion now. Your fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Her religion couldn't help her. Yet a time is coming, and now is come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. He was speaking to her soul. Was anyone listening? You have followed your heart from one disaster to another, but I am the one you have been looking for. 
The woman said, I know that the Messiah is called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. There was still one hope she had. I know that when the Messiah comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. I'm he. That's what our souls long for. You know, I've followed my heart in so many different directions without finding any lasting satisfaction. Our hearts tend to lead us astray. It was my soul that led me to Jesus. And I've never been thirsty again. I've never had to say to God, what else you got? Jesus is exceeding abundantly above anything that I could ever ask for. I mean, I've only discovered the smallest fraction. It's like dabbling your toes in the Pacific Ocean without realizing how vast the stretches are beyond that. Even what I've experienced, that small portion I've experienced, is beyond anything I can imagine. I've never been thirsty again. My soul is satisfied in Christ. There's now an inner spring of water welling up to eternal life. I just have to remember to stop drinking from the contaminated wells of the world. I know the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. So this was her moment of truth. But there's a few questions that come to my mind. Why did God wait so long? Why didn't he confront her after marriage number two or three? Why did he wait this long? Well, it's probably because she wouldn't have been ready yet. For some of us, we have to fail five or six or 50 or 60 times before we're finally ready to respond. He had to wait until her heart had given up hope. I love meeting people who've given up hope because they're ready for Jesus. If you've given hope, up hope of anything in this life, then you're ready. You're ready for the only thing that will ever satisfy. Now she was ready to ask the right questions. Now I'm also wondering, why didn't Jesus tell her, you must be born again? In the previous chapter, we met Nicodemus, who had reached a penthouse of moral respectability. She was way down in the sewers below the cellar. Why didn't Jesus also tell her to be born again? I think it's because Jesus didn't have to tell people something they already knew. For Nicodemus, being born again was a radical new idea, and it was just mind-boggling. How can this be? But this woman already knew her condition, and now she knew the answer. The answer to the question she should have asked years ago. Sometimes sinners are way ahead of theologians in their appreciation of God. Verse 27, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking to a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Why are you talking with her? 
Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and made their way towards him. I like that. She tells the people in the town, He told me everything I ever did. That's uh, past tense. That's important. In other words, she was becoming a new creation. The old had gone. The new had come. But wait a minute. How can it happen that fast? When you spent your whole life defiling your heart, how can you be saved that fast? Because her whole life really had prepared her for this moment. There was no more need for a delay. Hebrews says, today is the day of salvation, not next Sunday. If you're ready, it's today. You don't have to wait. That's why we call it good news. Because no matter who you are, and no matter what you've done, you can be forgiven and receive new life in Jesus Christ. Verse 29. Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. When the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. So then he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer just believe because of what you've said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. And salvation spread because one soul was stirred. And in heaven, hundreds of new building permits were issued that day. Now we know. We have heard the words of eternal life. And now we know and we believe. It could be a big mistake to listen to your heart. It's never a mistake to pay attention to your soul. My soul thirsts for God. And that thirst is satisfied in Jesus Christ alone. So much so that we don't ever need to thirst again. Father, we thank you so much that you have given us everything in Jesus Christ. There's nowhere else we have to look. There's nothing else that uh, we need to experience. When we have Christ, we have everything that you could possibly give us. It's just a matter of discovering more and more of that and allowing ourselves to go deeper and deeper into the fullness of who Christ is. It'll take all of eternity to do that. And even then, we probably don't have enough time. But thank you that we can already begin to experience this well of water within that satisfies us, satisfies the longing of our souls. And in time, our heart will also understand that's exactly who we are looking for. Father, wherever we are on that journey, 
Thank you that you love us and you're waiting. You're waiting for us to finally ask the right question. Maybe this is the day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.